This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 150, and we are recording on September 25th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. 150? Is that true? I, unless I typoed it, which is possible. No, I think it's true. <laughs> Yeah, because last week you were with Liberty. Well, I'm glad we're actually together for episode Yay! We've been doing these like guest posts because of all of our travel schedules. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. We have nothing special planned for this, guys. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, chili, not in honor of this, but let's just pretend. <laughs> last night was the first chili night of this fall. So <sighs> I feel like that's a get booked, you know, milestone, as it were. Yeah, I wish we lived in the same city so we could have like chilly nights <gasps> oh me too now i'm sad <laughs> wah, wah. <sighs> anyway what are you reading i am well so i'm on all the books this week so listeners from all the books you are going to hear me talk about this twice but i'm reading the tangled tree by david Quammen, which is making me feel smarter page by page. Um, mm. He's one of my favorite science writers. I don't read a ton of nonfiction, as y'all know, but I read everything that he writes because he's just so good at making it accessible, but also not making it feel like he's dumbing it down. And he covers the most interesting topics. And this one is about like recent discoveries from the 1970s in molecular biology and how they are totally changing the way we see evolution, which is super interesting. So it's like Darwin and Lamarck and well that's the part that I'm at. I'm in the first like two chapters. Um and like moving forward from there. And I just I just I don't know. Like I almost don't even care what he's covering. I just want to read whatever he's writing. Um and this is no exception so far. It's really interesting. And like all this stuff that I didn't know about Darwin and you know um the like his con- the context around the origin of species has already been super fascinating. So that is The Tangled Tree, A Radical New History of Life by David Quammen. Uh, how about you? Um, I am reading a million things to prepare for an upcoming special episode that we're doing for mm-hmm. Halloween. So I don't want to talk about any of those things. Yes, I But am. I will mention that I'm also reading Headscarves and Hymens by Mona Eltahawe, which is our... Um, current pick for Persist, uh, Book Riot's feminist book club that we run entirely on Instagram Live. We did a chat about the first two chapters last week. We're going to be talking about the next two chapters on Thursday at noon Eastern. So you, if you want to join us, you still, it's a super short book. Like the chapters are really short. Um, you have plenty of time to go get it from wherever and, and catch up if you want to discuss it. I was terrified of this book <laughs> um, because, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm like a good Western liberal and I'm afraid to have opinions about anything having to do with Islam because it's not my lane. Um, so I'm really, I was really happy so far with the first chat. Um, it's super thought provoking, giving me a lot of new perspectives and like permission to say things that I was never going to say out loud about feminism and um, fundamentalist religions of all kinds. So it's a really fascinating read. Uh, the author is from Egypt and is Muslim herself. Um, 
and spent nine years as a hijabi, which I didn't realize. Because, like, I've seen her before on Twitter around, and she has, like, big, bright red hair. Um, but that was not always the case. So the chapter about how she came to wear the hijab and then decide to take it off is all really fascinating. Anyway, it's just great. It's really great. Okay, moving on. How the show works. As I said before, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So how it works is you ask for them and we give them to you. That's pretty much, it's not that hard. So you can email us your reading recommendation requests at getbookedatbookwrite.com or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. And these can be for anything. If you need a reading recommendation for yourself or your book club or for a gift or you're traveling or whatever, we will answer all of them uh, eventually. <laughs> um, if we can't get to your uh, question in time, if it's time sensitive, please note that like in the subject line of your email, big capital letters in the first line if you're, if you're using the form. Um, if we can't get to it in time, we'll email you back. We might also email you back a response if we've already answered your question on the show. Okay. We don't have any feedback this week, so we're just going to mosey on. Jen's going to read our first question. I will do our first sponsor, and then we will go, go gadget. Get booked. Indeed. All right. Our first question is from Patrick, who says, I'm looking for books that hit the sweet spot towards fulfilling my reading challenges for this year. I'm trying to read at least 75% female authors and at least 75% non-US slash UK slash Canadian, especially trying to add books from new countries. I've been reading a lot of women in translation and finding a lot of great books, but I've come to realize that the vast majority of what I've been reading are new books from the very late 20th or 21st centuries. So now I'm really digging for recommendations that touch each decade of the 20th century and or earlier. Do you have any ideas for books or authors? Some good books from the last year or two I've loved were Fever Dream by Samantha Schweblin, Han Kang's books from South Korea, Ali Smith's Autumn, which is not helping my goal, and <laughs> Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Uh, we do, but first, sponsor. Yes, our first sponsor is the GCP Club Car which is Grand Central Publishing's book club resource. They've curated a list of really great book club books to help you inspire discussions at your book club. There's nothing worse than like picking a book that no one has an opinion about or that everyone has the same opinion mm -hmm. about. You know, like you read a book and everyone gets together to talk and they're like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> End of discussion. <laughs> or no, this, was, this wasn't very good. And that's all. And then you just gossip and drink wine, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But it's very frustrating as a book club runner to have that kind of response. So you can enter the sweepstakes that they're running now for a chance to win 10 copies of one of the season's selections to read with your book club. So visit grandcentralpublishing.com slash club car uh, to do that. And you can also they have a reading group guide you can download. You can sign up for a seasonal book club newsletter, um, look through featured books that they have decided are really good picks for um, book clubs, stuff like Free Food for Millionaires, which was which is by Min Jin Lee, who of course is a National Book Award winner for Pachinko, um, A Conspiracy of Tall Men, which is by Noah Hawley. He uh, is the creator of Fargo, and he also wrote that, oh, what was it called? That Free Fall? Something or, Fall. No. Behind the yeah. Fall? Before Behind the Fall? The, before the Fall, that's it. That really popular airplane thriller mm -hmm. from last year. Um, the Secret Diary of Henry Groen, Shadow Child, and Little Panic. So a lot of really buzzy books for you to go check out. So go to grandcentralpublishing.com slash clubcar for book club goodness. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You seem to really like weird books. Like Fever Dream is super weird. Hank Kang's books are all pretty weird. I thought Autumn was weird. I might be alone in that. Um, so I picked another weird one for you, which was Aqua Viva by Clarice Lispector. 
But really, anything Clarice Lispector wrote would would help you with this goal. She's obviously female. Uh, she's a Brazilian author who was writing mostly in the 60s and 70s. Um, I picked Aqua Viva because it's odd and would like fit in with this kind of stuff that you seem to like. However, it's not fiction. It's um, so hard to describe. It's like functionally nonsense, but like really interesting nonsense. <laughs> it's like a collection of meditations on life and time and art and like being an art monster and poetry and all of these things. So it's written in like little vignettes um, and it's short. It's like not even a hundred pages. And it, some of it is just really confusing. Like you're trying to follow her line of thought about, you know, how painting and music are related art wise and how her entire life is about capturing moments in art and how hard that is. Um, and it's like, you can, it's one of those reading experiences where you're like, this is super brilliant, but like way above my pay grade. Like that feeling you get when you're reading Ulysses, where you're like, oh, obviously this is a genius. I don't get any of it, <laughs> but I'm still reading it. Like I can't stop. Anyway, that was my experience with Ulysses. I'm sure y'all are like way smarter than me and probably understood all oh, of it. Man. I did not <laughs> understand any of it, but I couldn't stop. Like I read all of Ulysses. Anyway, it was the same thing with this, um, where I was like, man, you, this is, this is, I can tell some kind of a triumph, but I don't get it. And that's exactly how I felt reading Fever Dream. Like, I have no idea what's happening. I had to Google it. I had to Google what is Fever Dream about when I was done reading Fever Dream. And then it made sense in hindsight. Anyway, Clear's Respector is great. Um, her collections of short stories are a bit more narratively traditional. If you want to read something in translation from her that isn't quite so, like, um, New Directions has a new chunky collection of, like, all of her... Um, short stories that came out I think two years ago so you can go pick that up so that's Aqua Viva by Clarice Lispector oh her translator is uh Stefan Tobler so I really wanted to find you like something from the 50s or earlier but I just I couldn't find anything I didn't have time enough to dive into this um so my pick for you is a personal favorite it's an Angelica Gordischer um who is from Argentina so not necessarily a new country for you but a really amazing writer um and I think you could read anything by her and be into it she wrote in the 70s 80s and 90s um but I started with Kalpa Imperial because it was translated by Ursula Le Guin, like Hello Wheelhouse. Um, and it is amazing. It was also the first of her 19 books to be translated into English. And it's so interesting because it's definitely got sort of like a little bit of that, like, you know, South American magical realism feel to it. But it's it's not it's not straightforward. Um, it is, uh, how many chapters? Like 18 chapters, something like that. 11 chapters um, that all sort of revolve around this unnamed empire, which has, you know, had its like good times and bad times and gone up and down over the course of, you know, it almost feels like hundreds or thousands of years. Um, and you're getting little sort of vignettes from its history and so some of them feel like really medieval and then some of them feel more modern and some of them are very political and then some of them are more fable-ish and it, it's just it's just so interesting how big of a world she has managed to create with such a zoomed in like little selection of chapters like each one is so specific but the sum total of them 
is so much bigger than the parts. And I think that's a really amazing feat. Um, and so, yeah, it, 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 and it's not hard to read. Like it, it just feels really, you just get sucked right in. Um, but it, it's, it is so dreamy and surreal in some moments and then so grounded in others that it is a really interesting reading experience. So I just, I think she's a genius. Um, and I also love that this was translated by Ursula Le Guin. Like, what's not to love here? Uh, so, yeah. And, and again, she's written a bunch of books. And, and a, a, a fair few of them have been translated into English at this point. Although, like, I'm waiting for, like, all 19 to be available so I can, you know, have the collected works. Uh, which has not happened yet. Somebody get on that. Um, but, yeah. So that's Kelpa Imperial, but really anything by Angelica Gorodischer. All right. Question two is from Lee, who says, uh, this request is for my husband. He's lately gotten back into reading sci-fi, and I would love to surprise him with a new book for his birthday. He loves science fiction that mixes hard science with a good story. His recent obsession has been the Three Body Trilogy by Shusen Liu, and he's also a big Arthur C. Clarke fan. Okay, I picked the Murderbot Trilogy series. Uh, Four? There's I'll four. Yes. Okay. Series. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Exit Strategy is the newest one that just mm-hmm. came out. The first one is called All Systems Red. And this is a, this is a series of like novellas from Tor.com that are all so great. And they, they're they definitely hard science fiction, but they're not as hard as the Three Body Trilogy. And they're a little bit funnier. A lot funnier. The Three Body Trilogy isn't funny at all. There's nothing really hard about that. Um, but All Systems Red is about uh, a security bot that who is like, you know, made of AI and mechanical parts and also some organic parts. So like combined artificial intelligence who has like gained sentience and hacked its governing um, computer logic or whatever um, and has been rented out to this band of scientists who are on a planet looking like conducting surface tests and they're hired. The, um, they have rented this bot as, as their security. So the security bot is intended to like protect it from any sort of dangerous wildlife they encounter, make sure all of their security systems are running, that their life support is running, all this kind of stuff. Um, But since the bot has hacked, the sec unit is what it's called, has hacked its own governing module and has become kind of, you know, sentient, it like doesn't, it's like half-assing its entire job. It's so sad and depressed. What is the name of that that bot from, um, oh, now I, Futurama. I can't remember. Yes, it reminded me of that bot the whole time. Um, and it's you're in SecUnit's internal narrative for the whole first book, which is the only one that I've read, so I can't speak to the other ones, um, for all systems read, um, where, like, it just doesn't like people. It just wants to be alone to watch TV, which is what it does when it's bored. It, like, downloads hours and hours and hours of television and then watches TV um, and doesn't like eye contact and like doesn't like taking off its um, armor so that people can look at it. It's just super awkward and doesn't has feelings but doesn't understand them. Um, and then while all of this is happening, it's like watching TV and ignoring the people it's supposed to be watching. Uh, they get attacked. The the science station uh, gets attacked by another group of humans on the planet, and the Secbot realizes that like. It kind of likes these people and wants to actually protect them. Um, and it's like from page one, super action packed, uh, very su- in that way, similar to the three body problem where you jump into like things have already happened and are happening. And ah, uh, but the like hang doggedness of the murder bot, which is what it calls itself, is so like, oh, 
like right in the heart and mm. also really funny and melancholy and goofy and weird and it's it's obsession with like soap operas is so good it's just so good so that's all systems red which is the first book in the murderbot diaries by martha wells so much fun <laughs> Um, I am, again, recommending an author, although I do have starting point thoughts. Uh, it's Daniel H. Wilson, who is great. I have read more of his books in the past year, and I'm really into them. He is a Cherokee citizen, so if you're looking for authors of color to read, you should definitely add him to your list. Um, and he has, like, there's two books that I think might appeal specifically to your husband. Um, the first one is Robopocalypse, which, as you might guess, is a about a robot apocalypse surprise um it's the first in the series there are two yes two books out in it and um Wilson himself like has a degree in robotics so it's very like near and dear to his heart so you can kind of feel that sort of hard science glee in the pages um and it has a sort of skynetty premise um there's a massively artificial intelligence known as Arcos that like comes online and assumes control over the whole globe um except that it's like got the persona of like a shy boy like a shy human boy so it's um it's like dealing with like a skynet that's also like your nephew which is weird <laughs> um and there's all of these different characters that sort of are involved um and then there's a robot war and blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. Um, but yeah, so that is a super fun, action-y one. And then if your husband is at all interested in short stories, there is a new uh, short story collection from Wilson called Guardian Angels and Other Monsters that I really loved. It is so weird. Um, it's got this really broad range of like, some of them are a little bit more historical and some of them are a little bit more future-y and they take place in different parts of the world and some of them are like really moving about parenthood and love or you know family and then some of them are just like all about the action um but they're they're it's just a really amazing range and and I think that it's probably a good introduction to his style um but again like it really kind of just depends on whether or not he's interested in short stories. I think Robopocalypse is a perfectly good place to start. So again, that is the works of Daniel H. Wilson. Happy sci-fiing. Okay, next question is from Katie, who resent her question. Thanks. <laughs> totally <laughs> legit. Um, I'm seeking some eerie atmospheric books to read this fall and winter. Bonus points for books set in rainy, stormy, dreary places. My most recently read books that fall into this type of category are Rebecca, and Then They Were None, and The Woman in Cabin 10. I'm open to books from all eras, as well as both YA and adult novels. I'm just going to keep talking. Um, I picked The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins, which is just just like one big mood um <laughs> like one big dreary mood oh you're so right <laughs> and which i read thanks to uh amanda talking about it all the time so thank you to amanda um it is definitely a rebecca comp uh there's the main character walter is like 
walking along a London road one moonlit night and be like encounters this woman in white, haha, um, who appears to be in distress. And since he's a good guy, he tries to help her and she tells him the story of like persecution and woe. And, you know, she just needs enough money to get on a carriage to go see her friend. And so he like helps her out and thinks no more of it. And then he gets asked like a little bit way farther down the road if he's seen a woman who has escaped from an asylum. Um, and he's like, ooh. And, and everything kind of unrolls from there. There's a big creepy house. There's, you know, sinister conspiracies. Um, and the way the book is told shifts throughout the book. And I really loved the different narrative strands. And it is long. It's like 670 odd pages. But it did not feel that long. Like it really felt like it moved quickly to me. And it is just like... It's it's just really immersive and you just feel like you're 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 there on the moors or in the creepy house or walking along this London road trying to figure out who's doing what to who and who's right and who's lying and is there a ghost or what who knows. Um so I think it is definitely gonna fit what you're looking for. So that is The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins. Okay, I picked Weathering by Lucy Wood, which is a novel that takes place in a small village somewhere in the northern UK along a river. And the entire novel is cold, wet, dreary, autumnal, like, melancholy. That's the whole thing. You're following three generations of of women in a family. Um, The grandmother, Pearl is dead and has been cremated and her ashes have been put in a river, but she is still kind of like present in this house and along this river where she lived her whole life. So you get POV chapters from her. And then um, there's Ada, who is her daughter. Ada and Pearl had a not great relationship. Ada left the village um, several years ago and never came back, had a daughter of her own. And since her mother's death, she has come back to this house on the river to like, you know, put it to rights and get her mother's affairs in order. Um, and, you know, all that sorts of stuff that you have to deal with um, when a parent dies and also your own grief. And then her daughter, Pepper, who is six and who is a bit of a wild child, doesn't really follow a lot of rules, is very used to her mom, like picking up and moving every couple of months when she gets bored. But, you know, now this is different. She's come to this um, tiny village where everyone seems to know her mother, where her mother seems very unhappy. And you sort of follow the three of them, including the dead woman, as they come to grips with their past. There's some talk of, you know, what happened to make Ada leave. But the whole time this is happening, it's just so damp. Like, that's the feeling that I got reading this book was just what, like, just wet. Everything is wet and cold. The house doesn't have any heating, so it's just constant lighting and maintenance of the, um, what do you call it, furnace thing, like the fire. Um, everything is damp. The floorboards are all damp, and all of the, um, like, linens are wet and moss growing in them, and everything is cloudy and, you know, moors and just atmosphere. So I think this is a really a perfect autumn, fall, eerie kind of book. So that's Weathering by Lucy Wood. Nice. Is it my turn? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think we both inhaled at the same time. And I was like, oh, is she about to talk? Did I mess it up? Okay. Question four is from Rhiannon, who says, my best friend and I no longer live anywhere near each other and may not for many years. Uh, one way we've maintained our bond is through reading books together. We love contemporary literature, especially focused on women's experiences. I'm specifically looking for lovely books about female friendships. As teens, we both loved and deeply bonded over the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants series, but now I'm looking for something more geared towards adults and main- maintaining friendships through the trials of adulthood, including perhaps long-distance friendships. Um, I'm going to keep going. 
So I picked She Matters, A Life in Friendships by Susanna Sonnenberg, which is actually not fiction. This is a collection of essays about Susanna's friendships from female with other women from her childhood through her adulthood, some of which are long distance, some of which end very badly, um, all of which have like, you know, that, that, that drama and intensity that can come with really deep friendships with other women. And I think that this would be a great thing to read with another friend, both for like snarky judgmental opportunities of like, these people are a little bit crazy. Um, but also because it just, it's so affirming. Like Susanna talks about her relationships with her friends in the same way that, you know, you can read a romance novel and read the the description of somebody's feelings for their romantic partner. It's that she, she never downplays the idea of female friendship. This whole book is about how essential they are uh, to women as from childhood onward. Like the, our, our, um, our girlfriends are, you know, our, our moat that protect us from the rest of the world, which is, is very constantly trying to grind women and girls down. So I think this would be a really lovely thing to read with a friend. Um, some of her friendships are, seem very ill-advised. Like it's just, she's got the whole spectrum of like, girl, that drama is not good for you to like that, never let go of that friendship, you know? Um, and it's so human and, and relatable and, um, enjoyable. So that's She Matters by Susanna Sonnenberg. I picked a book that's a little bit to the side of your request because mine is not like a like super warm, fuzzies, lovely book about friendship. It's more like friendships are complicated. Um, but I think that that's a really interesting thing, especially when you do have like a super solid friendship to like look at one that is more complicated and like dissect like what it is that's going on there. Um, so my pick for you too is Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam, which is just so interesting and like sharp and bitey um, in, in the, in the most honest and genuine way. Um, and so, yeah, so it's about two uh, girls named Sarah and Lauren who have been friends for 20 years, like since they're, you know, they were like 11 or 12 or something. And they are one of them, as you might guess from the title, is rich and one of them is pretty. Um, Sarah is the daughter of a very prominent, like political intellectual and a socialite and, you know, has lots of money and works at a charity and is planning her wedding um, now that they're in their 20s slash late 20s, early 30s, I want to say. Um, and Lauren, who is the pretty one, but like, you know, doesn't come from money and has like a sort of very different family life, is single and she works in publishing. And she just is basically like trying not to think about feeling like she's going nowhere because that's what she feels like, but she doesn't want to think about it, um, which I think is a really relatable feeling for a lot of people in that age bracket. And, um, and, and they look at each other's lives and are just kind of like, Ugh, how is she even doing that? Like each of them feels that way about the other. Um, but they are still, they've had this long running friendship. So even as they're growing apart, they're still like actively trying to bridge the gap. Um, but like, will it work is sort of the question of this book. Like as you start to grow apart and as your lives become really different from each other's and as you make different decisions about how you're going to adult, can your friendship survive? And I think that it is a really interesting look at that shifting pattern and, and like what kind of sort of mental changes and shifts you have to make to 
keep those connections because it's not like, oh, now we don't have anything in common. I guess we can't be friends anymore. Like that's not, that's not the only way to do this. But how do you negotiate that tension? is a really interesting question to me, and and this book really tackles it. So again, that is Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam. And, oh, it's all me. Okay, so our <laughs> next sponsor, I, I, I really want to read this book after having read the synopsis for it a couple of times. Like, I'm super interested. Our next sponsor is The Good Demon by Jimmy Kajolis uh, from Amulet Books and Peak Beyond. And this is about an exorcism. Well, it's not technically an exorcism. Um, the Reverend and his son ripped Claire's demon from her. They called it a deliverance. But they didn't understand that Claire and her demon known simply as her, were like sisters. She comforted Claire, made her feel brave, helped ease her loneliness, and now Claire will do anything to get her demon back, even if it means teaming up with the Reverend Son and scouring every inch of her small southern town for answers. But if she sacrifices everything to bring back her demon, what will be left of Claire? So this is definitely a fall, eerie, gothy book for you. Um, It's a story about unusual friendship, and Claire walks the fine lines between good and evil, love and hate, religion and free will, and has to decide what she's willing to sacrifice. Uh, It's gotten starred reviews from Kirkus, Booklist, and Publishers Weekly. And Megan Abbott, uh, the best-selling author of Dare Me and Give Me give me your hand called it a gothic wonder of a novel so this is like mood reading extraordinaire for the season and i definitely am going to pick that up it is the good demon by jimmy Cajolis from amulet books and peak beyond thank you for sponsoring the show all right so coco sent in question five it says i'm looking for recommendations for my cousin who loves books that look at the world or history honestly but still make her laugh her all-time favorites are The Sellout, The Good Lord Bird, A Confederacy of Dunces, and most recently Less by Andrew Sean Greer. She keeps asking me for some absurdist satire like those books, except written by and centered on women. I know of no books that fit the bill, especially none that speak to a more diverse experience. She's an intellectual, funny woman of color currently living in Europe, and I'd love to send her a couple books to accompany her on her travels. Amanda, you picked a book that <laughs> I just read and love. Please <laughs> tell us about it. Okay, satire. Um, I picked Severance by Ling Ma, which is like a office, like an episode of The Office if it took place in Station Eleven. Yeah, kind of. It's nice. so weird. Um, so Candace Chen is the main character, and she is a she works in publishing randomly and like the Bible production wing of a publishing house in New York City. And she has, like, a very kind of boring life. She lives in New York. She hangs out with her boyfriend who, like, breaks up with her when the novel opens because he's, like, so tired of New York and how fake it is. Um, and she goes to work. And, like, that's kind of it. She's she doesn't Her parents are dead, so she doesn't really have any family. She's just doing this, like, office drone thing. And then her... Um, this, like, fever breaks out. And it's not fever. It's, like, a fungus. Anyway, this epidemic breaks out called Shen fever. Uh, and it starts to spread. And essentially what's happening is, like, the apocalypse. Like, the end of civilization, as we know, it is happening because of this epidemic. And she just kind of doesn't notice for a while because she's too busy doing the office drone thing. And then when she, when it becomes really um, hard to ignore or impossible to ignore, she stays at work because her her boss, like, offers all these bonuses to employees who stick around to like, complete this project. Um, and eventually uh, that she's the only person left alive in her office. And she like teams up with this uh, group of other survivors who were leaving the city, who uh, is headed by this religious kind of nut. And so it, it just, 
it, you know, she's saying some, like, very intelligent things here, as satire does, about millennials and their commitment to, like, late-stage capitalism, even in the face of a crumbling world economic system and, you know, basic fundamental morality. Um, and it's so, it's, like, funny and weird and everything that the office is pointing out, but in New York and with a lot of dead people. <laughs> and the way that the... the um, illness plays out is also really interesting it turns people into like kind of harmless zombies essentially like they're still conscious before they die they're still like not conscious but up and around and moving except they keep repeating these really sad sort of late stage capitalism actions like messing around on their iphones or like trying to make you know dinner or whatever like do living their suburban lives but they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again they're not harmful they're not like going to try to kill the survivors or anything but they're just up and and drowning just droning on so uh it reminded me a little bit of zone one the colson novel, in that kind of you know like this is a giant statement about society but it's also really funny and maybe i shouldn't laugh because it feels like i shouldn't laugh but i'm gonna so that's that's the feeling you're gonna get here so that's severance by ling ma Shades of Vonnegut in there too, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, and I dug how dry it was. Like it took me a while to realize how funny it was, just because it was so dry, um, which I appreciate a lot. Uh, okay, when you said absurdist and centered around women, and so I picked The Merry Spinster uh, by Daniel Mallory Ortberg, which was pub- published under the name Mallory Ortberg. So that's where to find it uh, if you are looking in the bookstore. And this is a short story collection that is on the creepy absurdist satire side. Um, I definitely got the full body chills from several of these stories. Um, but you didn't say that she didn't like that, so fingers crossed that that's not a deal breaker for her. Um, This is a bunch of retold fairy tales, but like updated with social commentary about gender and race and romance and family and abuse and just like and misogyny and like all kinds of things. Um, And some of them feel like these sort of perfect self-contained new stories and and then some of them feel like the most amazing rewrite of for example there's a little mermaid rewrite that has like the best ending of ever it's just amazing <laughs> i loved it it was so dark it's so beautiful um and then there's one that's a spin on you know the wind in the willows and there's one that's a spin on you know Beauty and the Beast, but they're about, like, gaslighting instead of, you know, whatever it was that the Wind in the Willows was about. Um, So they're really sharp. They are funny. They're so uncomfortable in the way that, like, the sellout by Paul Beatty is just, like, painfully uncomfortable as as it's also funny. Um, So I think this is definitely something, like, there are there are pieces in here that are very comparable to some of the books that you listed. And then there are the ones that are just like the product of Ortberg's crazy, fevered, amazing imagination. Um, It's bonkers. It's so good. And it's tiny. So if you're traveling, it's a real, like it's less than 200 pages. It's a paperback. So it's really good to stuff into a bag and then take off. Uh, So again, that's The Merry Spinster, Tales of Everyday Horror. Um, And the book was published under the name Mallory Ortberg. 
Okay, question six is anonymous um, and says, recently I've gotten into manga and I've been really loving the books I've been picking up. I'm reading Full Metal Alchemist at the moment and have become obsessed. It's made me realize, however, how little I've read in translation by Japanese authors and was wondering if you two had any novel recommendations. Um, I read pretty much anything in any genre, so long as it's engaging and well-written. Also, before you ask, I have read Murakami. <laughs> I, uh, he's a great author, but I've had difficulty with how he writes women. Okay, um, I picked a mystery thriller for you called Penance. It's by Kanai Minato and translated by Philip Gabriel. Uh, and this is a mystery. It's kind of a whodunit, but you're not actually ever focused on the whodunit. It's about four women who, when they were children, had a fifth friend named Emily, um, who they, like the group of them, this, these five girls were close, and then they were uh, playing in a basketball court one day, and a strange man comes along and separates Emily from the group, and then Emily is later found murdered. And then the four girls give their accounts of what happened and their accounts of the, um, what the, you know, what the guy looked like and they're the witnesses. So they're giving their witness testimonies. Essentially the man is never caught and the statute of limitations on the murder, uh, in, because apparently that exists in Japan, uh, is, is quickly coming up. So eventually he's going to not have never been caught and will, you know, get away, um, get away with it entirely. And so the, the Emily's mother has kind of, you know, cursed the four girls who lived telling them that they're going to pay if they don't, um, help catch this guy. And so you you get a chapter or a part of the story from each of the four women um, who are grown now and have not moved on, but have, you know, grown up and are living their own lives. Uh, and then they get this kind of threat from Emily's mom and they start to think back on what happened um, and take actions in their own life based on that. And they the way that the, the, the different women... Um, carry this like trauma into adulthood is really interesting one of them makes a, a terrible goes into like a terrible marriage one of them becomes a teacher and has to defend um the kids from an attacker and like the way that this crime just keeps haunting them forever you do eventually get to the like but who was the who was the killer part um but that's i mean by the time you get there you're like so already so creeped out it's kind of almost an afterthought because it's not it's not necessarily a book about who committed the crime as it is a book about the trauma of having witnessed it or having witnessed one. So that's Penance by Kanaim Minato. I have to read that one of these days. It sounds so good. Um, okay, I have one for you from my TBR list. It is Strange Weather in Tokyo by Hiromi Kawakami. It's translated by Allison Markin-Powell. And it was recommended by uh, one of our contributors, Pierce Alquist, in a post that she did about 50 must-read books in translation by women. And I just, like, this description has stuck with me, and that's why it's on my TBR. Also, the cover is amazing. It's like this woman, young woman floating through a grocery store aisle. It's really cool. Um, so it is about, as you might guess, a young woman uh, named Tsukiko who is drinking alone in a local bar when she sort of runs into one of her old high school teachers by chance. And she can't remember his name. And so she just goes back into the old habit of calling him sensei. Um, and then after this first thing, encounter and that's how he's known for the rest of the book um after this first encounter they continue to meet up so they'll like you know get a beer and some edamame and then they take a trip to the mountains to eat wild mushrooms um and their friendship starts to deepen and this book is about sort of you know modern japan it's about 
romance, but it's also about, you know, these feelings of loneliness and love and, and how do you, you know, how do you negotiate all of those feelings? Um, so it's, it, you know, Pierce described it as a quiet, understated beauty of a book, which is like, that's just catnip to me. I'm like, I need, I need that. Give, give that to me. Um, so that is why it's on my TBR. And it sounds like something that you might be interested in because you mentioned that you don't love the way that Murakami writes women, which I agree with. Um, so this is a book by a woman about a woman's experience. And I think you will dig it. So again, that's Strange Weather in Tokyo by Hiromi Kawakami. Okay, so our next pit, or question rather is from Aldo, who says, I've just started reading short story collections, and since I am a fan of horror books, I wonder if y'all would know of any horror short story collections that are not Stephen King already have all of those. Uh, Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballingrid, which came out in, I think, 2012 or 2013 from Small Beer Press, which is a great small press. And these are some of the creepiest short stories that I have ever read. The werewolf sh- story, which I think is the first one in the book, like haunts me to this day. <laughs> and I can't go to like a construction site ever without looking around very creepily. Like construction sites at sunset are no, 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 no. I have to go home now. Um, it won a Shirley Jackson award. Um, but in that way that a lot of horror is about, you know, how humans are the real monsters. Um, that's exactly what the stories in this collection are driving at. Um, There is actually not any, none of the stories are about lake monsters, um, but they are about the various kind of monstrosities that lurk in very normal North American life. Like there's um, a story in, uh, that takes place in the South about, you know, like a a member of the KKK. There's uh, that construction werewolf um, story, which is actually kind of a little bit about a crumbling marriage and the horrible things that happen that people say and do to each other when the relationships are falling apart. Um, but all of that, that is not to say that they're not creepy, that they're like actually about very everyday things. They are, but wrapped in these like super terrifying, all the lights are going to be on in your house forever kind of stories. Uh, so that's North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballingrid. I picked a short story collection for you called Fen by Daisy Johnson, which came out, oh, I guess it was last year. I didn't realize. Anyway, it's really good. Um, and I haven't seen too much buzz about it. And it is really creeptastic. It's not like straight up like re 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 heart. Like it's more like, oh, this is just like unsettlingly creepy and uncanny, which is about as far into horror as I generally get. But I also think is it's like legit. Like it's a legit form of horror that you're just like, oh, I'm suddenly really creeped out by my apartment because there's this one story where like the house that this young girl lives in falls in love with her and like gets really jealous of this new friend that keeps coming over and you're like oh my apartment jealous of my friends like what's going on um and there's another one uh where a teenager like turns into an eel and you're just like oh like it's just like oh is the feeling of this book. Um, and I definitely had to read it in short little bursts because it was like, it's just like this overwhelming uncanniness sometimes. Um, but I think that it's really smart. It's really interesting. And it is, it, like I said, it just 
thoroughly, thoroughly creeped me out in the way that like the best sort of small little folklore nothing much is happening here plot wise, but now I'm like really creeped out uh, way. So that is Fen by Daisy Johnson. And that is our show. Hey. Hey-o. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, and that's Jen with two N's IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>